Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming out on a great Memorial Day weekend. Hey, how about a cheer for God on the weather, huh? How what do you say? That's awesome. It's beautiful, and we have the day off. So it's it's awesome. So thank you, God. Thank you for joining us and joining us online if you're tapping in as well. Three weeks ago, when we started this series called Submit on Marriage, I said to you that people often talk about how marriage is like a three-ring circus. You have the engagement ring, you have the wedding ring, and then you have the suffering, right? And I stated then that the reason that there is so much suffering in marriage is because there is not enough submitting. The reason that there is so much suffering in marriage is that there is not enough submitting in marriage. The Apostle Paul challenges the man and wife in marriage to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.21. Now, submission in the context of a Christian marriage portrays this idea of putting someone else and their needs above yourself. When submitting is taking place, it produces the end goal of every marriage that is described in Genesis 2.24 and our scripture focus today, Ephesians 5.31. And the two shall become one flesh. And the two shall become one flesh. Now, the term one flesh comes from the Genesis account of when God created Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 24, describes the process of how God created Eve from the rib of Adam when he was asleep. Adam recognized that Eve was a part of him. They were, in fact, literally one flesh. The term one flesh means that just as our bodies are one whole, can't say to the spine and cannot be divided into pieces, so the kneecap can't say to the spine, hey, I don't need you, right? So God intended it to be with the marriage relationship. There's no longer two entities, two individuals, but there is one entity, a couple who is now married. So how do you get to one flesh by submitting to one another? American journalist and author Minion McLaughlin stated, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times and always with the same person. Did you get that? A successful marriage requires falling in love many times and always with the same person. So let's talk about how we get there, the two becoming one flesh. It first happens by becoming one in heart. Now, we all understand that all relationships and most marriages start out with infatuation. Infatuation is this, an intense but short-lived passion or admiration for someone or something, right? 
It's all great until the new leather smell wears off, right? In the relationship or in the marriage. You know, when we are dating and thinking about the idea of two becoming one, one author pictured it like the process of combining chocolate chips with cookie dough and then having this equation, something incredible plus something incredible equals something super duper incredible. Isn't that it? During the infatuation stage when your hearts are slowly turning towards one. But here's the reality. When it moves off of the emotions and infatuation stage and gets to the next stage of one mind, things change. You realize you are really different. And so the author says, once in marriage, my whole idea of the two shall become one changed. And now I had a more accurate equation for our relationship. Something hard and stubborn plus something hard and stubborn equals, ouch, that hurts, right? I mean, we get the infatuation states, oh, I love you. But then you have to pull together all your beliefs, your values, your backgrounds, and the two, and bring it into one flesh, and there's pain involved in that. Why is it hard to move towards this one mind? Well, there's a lot to move towards one mind. When I do premarital counseling with couples, I go through the 10 areas of a marriage relationship with them. We talk about marriage expectations, communication, conflict resolution. We talk about leisure activities. We talk about their personality and their habits. We talk about their financial approaches. We talk about their spiritual beliefs. We talk about their family and their friends. There's such a thing as called in-laws. You know, all these areas, and we talk about sex that have to go from being two now to coming together and being one and for them to think more alike than different. But even years in marriage, it's difficult even to get there. One lady wrote, shortly before our 25th wedding anniversary, my husband sent 25 long-stemmed yellow roses to me at my office. A few days later, I plucked all the petals and I dried them. On the night of our anniversary, I spread the petals over the bed and lay on top of them, wearing only a negligee. As I had hoped, I got a reaction from my husband. When he saw me, he shouted, are those potato chips? <laughs> you know, I mean, face it, wives, that's all you're going to get, probably. You know, the two becoming one. This oneness and desire to submit to and benefit each other is not this like automatic thing. It's challenging because why? We're fallen people. We have sin. The man in Genesis chapter 2, 24 is told to cleave to his wife. This word has two ideas behind it. One is to be glued to his wife. A picture of how tight the marriage bond is to be. But the other aspect is to pursue hard after the wife. 
This pursuing hard after is to move through the infatuation stage, courtship stage, into marriage, and then is supposed to continue into the marriage and throughout the marriage relationship. The fleshly tendency is to do what? To do what feels good to me rather than consider the benefit of my spouse. And this self-centeredness is the rut that most marriages actually end up into after the honeymoon. So instead of each spouse dwelling upon how his or her own needs are not being met, he or she is to remain focused on the needs of the other in the relationship. This is where, when it comes to our spouse's love banks, during this time of becoming one in mind, oftentimes we are taking more withdrawals out of our spouse's love bank than putting in deposits. Remember when we started out with one heart in the infatuation stage, it was all about them, right? And serving them and saying nice things about them. Why? Because you were trying to win them. But oftentimes, once they are one, we stop putting in deposits into their love bank and we just start taking withdrawal, withdrawal, withdrawal. To the point where we see often marriages end up. They end up in bankruptcy, love bankruptcy, because it's all about just taking out withdrawals and no longer putting in deposits. This is critical. And so we move from this one heart, this infatuation stage, we get to this one mind to where we got to pull all these beliefs, all these values, all our background together in the two shall be one flesh. But then it gets even a little more difficult because the goal is then to become one home, one home, which is this. Everything is everybody's. Everything is everybody's. So the kids are everybody's. You can't go and say, hey, your child over there is just really, you know what I mean? <laughs> How we say that sometimes, right? Our careers are each of ours. We mutually support one another and want each other to win. Our time is no longer my time. It's our time. Possessions, it's no longer his boat and her truck. It's ours. That's the only way you're going to get to the lake. Because you're going to say, hey, can I use your truck? No, because you won't let me use your boat. It's got to be an hour so you can get to the lake and fish, right? When it comes to money, there's no separate accounts. So, hey, I got my own fun money over here because I got extra money from work and you can have yours from whatever you get from work or whatever. No. Separate accounts leads to bitterness and division. It does. Everything is everybody's. The Apostle Paul even talks about our bodies when we say I do are now given under the authority of our spouse to meet their pleasure and their need. And we yield to one another. In all things, there's a shift. This is where there's no longer room for the word my. The word my destroys the spirit of oneness. The word destroys the spirit of oneness. 
Giving and sharing create the strongest bond of intimacy possible. This intimacy is so powerful that the word used to describe it is the word one. Paul gives us this picture in Ephesians chapter 5, 28, 29. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So in reality, Paul's just saying, hey, if you love your spouse, if you serve your spouse, if you die for your spouse, it's like serving yourself. There'll be an incredible return on the marriage. This is what is huge. And so the two shall become one flesh moves from this one heart, this infatuation stage, to this one mind working through bringing all our beliefs, values, our histories towards oneness to the one home where everything is everybody's and then it ends up back at the one heart. But a different heart than what we expected when we started. A totally different heart, a heart where God wants us to be. This one heart reveals a behavior in each spouse that is moved through the one heart infatuation stage, the one mind, the values stage, the one home, everything, everybody's stage. This heart is considered to be the epicenter of all our being in our life. And the goal is that the two shall become one and share the same epicenter in marriage. I'm a chaplain for the sheriff's office in Isani County here, one of them. And I received a call Friday and needed to go because there was a death notification. A husband had passed away. And when I arrived, I recognized and found out that the husband wasn't there at the house. He had passed away at another location. And so the, the sheriffs, myself and that, were at the house to communicate to the wife what had taken place. Obviously, shock, tough situation, a lot of tears. Family started showing up as I was there. And in the midst of all of this, this woman who had been married 40 years to this man stopped and said, I am so mad at him. I mean, just last night, we were breaking in a new deck of cards. And I'm like, oh, really? What were you playing? She said, we are playing Skippo. <laughs> and I'm like, well, who was winning? He said, well, by the end of the night, it was two to two. And tonight, we are supposed to break the tie. I'm so mad at him. <laughs> you know, just out of the blue, right? And, that, and in my mind, though, I was just like, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that picture? This couple of 40 years breaking in a new set of Skippo cards, 2-2, competitive, but being together. You know, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, physically, financially, and in every other way, a husband and wife is to become one. 
Even as one part of the body cares for the other parts, the stomach digests for the food, digests food for the body. The brain orchestrates and directs the body. The hands provide a lot of the physical labor for the body. So each partner in marriage is supposed to care for the needs of the other. This is the end picture of how God designed it to be. It is said marriage is like vitamins. We supplement each other's minimum daily requirements. But how is it we get there? Because we can look around our world and recognize the tragedy of marriages today. And the reality is, majority of marriages are trying to get there out of their own effort, their own definition of marriage, their own idea of, hey, who should get more attention maybe in the relationship, whatever it might be. How is it we, as Christ followers, move from the two to become one flesh? Well, I think the only reality to get there is to recognize a cord of three strands is rarely broken. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if one lies down, If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In reality, instead of the two shall become one flesh, it really needs to be three. In the Garden of Eden, there were three persons. There was Adam, there was Eve, And then there was God, and there was joy. So if God is central in your marriage, there will be this incredible opportunity to move from that one heart of infatuation to a one mind, a one home, and then ultimately this one heart where we share the same epicenter together in the relationship. So earlier I talked about this gal's equation for marriage, where in the infatuation stage, it was this something incredible plus something incredible equals something super duper incredible. But as they got into the relationship and had to move to the one mind, it changed from something stubborn and hard plus something stubborn and hard equals, ouch, that hurts. But longer in the relationship, she came up with a new equation. Ouch, that hurts. Plus time, plus turning it to God equals something super duper incredible to something even more super duper incredible. And that is God's design and desire for marriage. Let's pray, and then we'll share this video with you. Father God, I pray favor over each marriage here today, over those desiring to be married, 
those who are married, just pray your favor over each one. And that the two shall become one flesh. In your name, amen.